The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 1. If it ever becomes clear that I've stopped learning, dig a hole and push me in as quickly as possible because I'm of no use to anybody. Welcome to the Read to Lead Podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Read to Lead podcast. I am Jeff Brown and this podcast is dedicated to the belief that leaders read and readers lead. My goal is to help you grow personally and as a leader by encouraging you to become a more intentional and consistent reader. Our first ever guest is New York Times bestselling author Dan Miller, who in a moment will teach us, among other things, about the 10 steps to education and becoming rich. But first, this episode is brought to you by Brown Nose Media. That's brown, K-N-O-W-S, media.com, as in she really knows her stuff. Now, if you're a small business owner or even an artist or a professional speaker or an author, Brown Nose Media can help you with things like your website, even design for you a mobile app for your small business or for you as an artist, a speaker, or an author. They also do presentation design for professional speakers. And again, if you'd like to know more, you can find out about Brown Nose Media at brownnosemedia.com. That's brown, K-N-O-W-S media.com. I've always wanted to do a podcast, you know, having spent over 25 years in radio, but hadn't figured out what that might look like until now. Well, you know, as of today, I've finally stopped talking about it and I'm doing what author and speaker Seth Godin calls shipping. So with <laughs> with this inaugural episode, I'm keeping the promise to myself of launching this podcast. So again, thanks, Dan, for being a part of this launch. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Well, for those uh, that may not know, uh, Dan Miller is president of 48 Days and specializes in, and I love this, creative thinking for increased personal and business success. He's the author of the widely acclaimed 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Dreaded Mondays, and the book we'll be spending much of our time on today that he wrote with his son, Jared, Wisdom Meets Passion. More on that in a moment. He writes for many popular magazines, websites, been a guest on CBS, MSNBC, The 700 Club, The Ramsey Show, appears frequently on popular radio programs and only uber-successful podcasts. Right, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) It's the bomb right now. Now, you've been married to Joanne, is it 45 years now? Oh, you're going to date me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 45 wonderful, amazing years. Well, let's talk about, first of all, Wisdom Meets Passion, which came out late last year. Uh, how did the idea for the book come about and you writing it with Jared? Yeah, that's a very specific incident. Jared always wanted to go to Africa. Now, he's the second, he's the middle child of our three children. And I don't know where it came from, this desire to go to Africa, but he used to sit in front of the TV watching you know, Michael Jackson, We Are the World, with tears streaming down his face as a little five, six-year-old kid, just seeing these children around the world that didn't have everything that he had. So he wanted to go to Africa. So in going there for the first time about nine years ago, the night before he left, he wrote a note to Joanne and me, his mom and dad, and said, you know, I really am terrified about going and about the things that I hope to accomplish. But my passion exceeds my fear of inadequacy. Mm. And with that, I'm going to go. That 
laid a seed. I thought if I could help people tap into that kind of passion that exceeds our fear of inadequacy, that exceeds our low self-esteem, that exceeds our lack of courage, that would be amazing. So when I proposed the idea, as years went by, I proposed the idea to my publisher. They said, yes, absolutely. I knew that I wanted to do it with Jared's input. Now, Jared, least of any of our children, is a writer. He's a verbal communicator, but was always challenged in traditional academics, certainly not a writer. So I completed the manuscript, my part, sent it to him and said, any place that you find it resonate with you, just write your thoughts. I was blown away by what I got back, mm. a level of maturity and insight and depth that I didn't even know was there. So it was a <laughs> wonderful experience to write it with him. And the funny thing, Jeff, is peers of mine say, well, I know you're the author. I assume you wrote the book. And then when Jared provided his input, then you went back and took out everything you didn't agree with. <laughs> and it, it kind of caught me off guard because that thought never crossed my mind. Wow. In as much as he's chosen a much different lifestyle than his mom and I, at the very core, our beliefs and values are absolutely identical. And writing the book together was a clear confirmation of that. Well, as I was rereading it to get ready for this interview, I uh, was going over my highlights and underlines parts and all that. And I had forgotten about this list you created called the 10 Steps to Education and Becoming Rich. And interestingly, number one on your list is to read. And it's great for this podcast, number one, but it's easy for most of us to correlate reading with education. We can draw those, uh, connect those dots pretty simply. But why do you consider reading so important, as you say, in Wisdom Meets Passion to success and more specifically to building wealth? I have told people for years, if you want to double your income, if you want to have more personal success, whatever it is, you can dramatically change where you are in six months by reading great books. I don't know of any way to tap into the wisdom of the ages more so than reading. Now, I grew up in a home, Jeff, where reading was one of the things that was available, whereas some other more traditional things were not. We did not have radio or TV in our home. We didn't get the paper because the paper had comics in them, and we didn't allow comics in our home. So reading was one of those things that was readily available, and I found that it allowed me to travel places I had never been, to dream about doing things I had never done, to imagine a life that I had never experienced. Reading was what opened me up to a world of opportunities. So I have continued to see that as the most readily available tool for anybody to explode their success. Well, I learned relatively late in life, uh, in life the, the, the power of reading and just how much it can advance you individually and just from a personal uh, level, personal standpoint, and just, just learning in general. Uh, and I've just become a voracious reader uh, as a result. But why do you think more people, especially those desiring to lead or to find success, don't consider reading important enough to make time for? Why aren't more people doing it? I think it's because we have so many other things clamoring for our attention that scream louder than a great book sitting on the shelf. Mm. So people are used to having, I mean, we have some neighbors that have a tiny, tiny little house. And I can walk by there anytime, 24 hours a day, and see through the window 
big screen TV playing in the center of the house. <laughs> I think, oh, how sad mm. that that is the input they allow in because that does not have the value to impact your life in a positive way like a book does. But it's so loud and visible. And then we have all the social media things that are clamoring for attention. So we really need to carve out time to make it a priority to see it as something important to read if, in fact, we're going to do that. And yet if you read 10 minutes a day, I mean, you can read a great book a month, and most people do not read 12 great books a year. But in doing that, year after year after year, there is nothing to which I attribute whatever success I've had more so than to reading that I've done. I know, Dan, you've written a recent blog post that's gotten a lot of attention, uh, sort of related to this mindset of uh, in our culture of chasing degrees instead of going after what you write about in Wisdom Meets Passion, uh, rich experiences, imagination, and relationships. Can you talk about that for a bit? Well, the blog that you referenced, and I titled it 100% College Admission, How Sad. We passed a school close to where we live here in Franklin, Tennessee, a very prestigious private high school, very expensive. And they had that sign in their front yard, 100% college admission for our graduates once again. And I just, I wanted to cry. I mean, I wanted to pull over to the side of the road and weep because I thought, how could we have one solution for the variety of students coming through any class. Where are we going to get the next Ferrari mechanic? Where are we going to get the next great artist or sculptor or heating and air conditioning? Man, I, we had just had a guy out here, heating and air conditioning, nice young guy, had his tools with him, came out just for the spring service for our two heating and air conditioning units. No parts or anything required at all. All he did was just service them, tell us everything was okay. He was here for about an hour and a half. My bill was $149, which I was happy to pay. Now, you do the math on that. You know, I know college graduates, of course, who are asking you if you want fries with that. I know an attorney who is working at Kinko's at $10 an hour because he can't find anything in his field. And here we've got a kid with some tools in his back pocket. You know, it's getting $80 an hour. I don't know why we diminish the value of that. We've moved toward, as we've moved toward knowledge work, we've somehow eliminated the value. We've diminished the value of doing things with our hands, real trades, crafts, and and what I want is I'm not pushing people one direction or another, but I think it's very short-sighted to not look at the entire spectrum of opportunities. So if I have children coming through high school, I want them to know, yes, college is available. If you want to be a brain surgeon, then you go to college. If you want to be a nurse, go to college. But that is one option, and I know a whole lot of nurses who really wanted to be a great cook, an artist, a baker, and mom and dad said, no, you can't do that. You have to go to college. So now they're frustrated in what they're doing because it's not their dream. It's just fulfilling the expectations of someone else. Well, our, you know, our schools continue to place that emphasis on accumulating facts and scoring well on standardized tests, things that can, can be measured. I think about uh, uh, Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk from 2006, where he talks about uh, how creativity is being educated out of us. Do you think that will ever change? I certainly hope so. I really think that we're seeing somewhat of a pendulum swing. 
and Daniel Pink wrote a book a couple years ago, A Whole New Mind, where he talked about we are changing from validating only those left-brain skills, things that are analytical, detailed, logical, and all of a sudden we're seeing that the things that can't be outsourced are right-brain skills, things that have to do with relationships and empathy and creativity. There's been a real surge toward that, and of course, as we see the rising angst about the value or lack thereof of college degrees where students are actually suing colleges because they were led to believe that what they got, that piece of paper would lead to fame and fortune and finding that not to be true. I mean, there's a whole lot of unrest in that whole community. So I think we're seeing a time where, you know, there's, we're taking a new look at these things. I think a lot of parents are realizing what we want to do with our children is help them live an authentic life, not just a pre-scribed, post, you know, pre-predicted kind of existence, but what is authentic about this child? And as we really embrace that, we're going to find the whole spectrum of things that children are gifted for. And as adults as well. I mean, it's never too late. A lot of adults are mm. discovering their own buried creativity at 45 or 50. Well, Jared writes in, in Wisdom Meets Passion, one of, my, one of my favorite things that he wrote was that your failures are typically the stepping stones to your greatest successes. And I'm curious to know how you respond to failures and if you can cite an example of when a failure, Dan, or a set of failures served as uh, steps to a, a successful outcome for you. Well, no, I've never had anything but successes in my life. <laughs> my goodness. I don't know of anyone who has had a straight, linear path to success. It seems that everybody I know who has any extraordinary level of success had some obstacles, bumps in the road along the way. So I've learned to anticipate that and to welcome that, frankly. Now, that doesn't mean that I go out and create it. <laughs> Believe me, those failures will track you down and find you. But I've had some pretty spectacular ones where I had failure. I woke up one morning after a particular business transaction and realized I owed about $430,000 mm. to people, uh, much of that to the IRS, and they're not very forgiving on that. Mm -hmm. But that required me to take a fresh look at, okay, what am I going to do? Now, I, I, I grew up in an environment, and certainly my own personal values are such that I know that it doesn't help anybody to point fingers or blame. So without going into the details, I mean, banking practices changed and all mm -hmm. kinds of things changed, and I could say, well, it wasn't my fault, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, the guy who's going to change my future is not sitting in a cubicle somewhere. It's the guy I look at in the mirror every mm -hmm. morning when I get up. So I've always taken those times of personal failure and just simply drawn a line in the sand and say, okay, what am I going to do to create the life I want two years from now, three years from now. So even now, now I provide, I, I've discovered some ways to provide some margin in my life at this point, rather than having, even from a business perspective, rather than having all my eggs in one basket, where if something happens, I'm really toast. Now I've got multiple things happening, even in my little business world, where if something tanks, I can unplug it, put something else in, and it doesn't sabotage the whole ship. Right. I do the same thing in other areas of my life. I mean, when we're talking about success or having margin, we're not talking about just what your 
financial portfolio looks like. We're talking about your health, your personal relationships. So I am just as intentional and strategic about making deposits of success in my marriage as I am in what I do in my business or in my health. I mean, I reserve blocks of time to address my health, my mental development, my spiritual well-being. Those are all areas where I want success. So we can't just categorically say, well, your success is reflected by your bank account. That's just one small indicator. And frankly, that one can go up and down. That one is probably the easiest to replace if there is a challenge. So failure can come in some very devastating ways. If it comes financially, then I take a deep breath and say, okay, what am I going to do? I can figure this out. Some of the areas other areas of my life would be more devastating were that to happen, and I protect those very carefully. Well, for me, when it comes to success or a lack thereof, something that I've struggled with for, for a while, uh, until recently at least, has been uh, indecision or indecisiveness. Uh, uh, and something you write about is developing a personal mission statement and how it can bring clarity to someone who struggles with indecision. How do you coach others to develop a personal uh, mission statement, and what are some of the components uh, of one? Sure. I think that's important. A lot of people are what Zig Ziglar used to call wandering generalities. They just don't have a clear focus for what they're doing. They just kind of respond to the squeaky wheel, and that'll keep you in a position of mediocrity for sure. Extraordinary success comes from being clearly focused, having a plan of action. So I'm going to help somebody or myself you know, look at, okay, where do I want to be? So identifying the end goal is very important. What do I want my life to look like three years from now? What would success look like there? But then have a personal mission statement that gives me a filter by which to evaluate any kind of activity at all. And that mission statement is going to have some, some of the key components are going to be, what unique skills and abilities do I have? What are my personality tendencies? How do I relate best to other people? What kind of environments do I function best in? And then what are those recurring values, dreams, and passions? What is it that when I'm involved in doing that, my heart sings, or I'm in the zone, as athletes talk about, or when I'm doing it, time just flies by. Those are the things I want to look for, and when I start looking at that, I start to see some recurring patterns. From that, I can really crystallize a personal mission statement that helps me bring that all together, and it does act then as a filter. So if we say, well, the hottest business opportunity or franchise is Subway, why don't you get one? We ought to know instantly from your personal mission statement if that's a fit or not. doesn't matter if it's successful for other people. Is it a fit for you? And by doing this, what that means is that 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in our career comes from looking inward first, not outward. We're too quick to go to the 15%, get the cart before the horse, <laughs> say, well, here's an opportunity, here's somebody hiring, or here's somebody that's making a lot of money, or this is the hottest trend, and we jump on that bandwagon only to find that it was a Band-Aid solution, and it's really a long-term frustration because it's not an authentic fit for us. So having a mission statement is just part of this process of really clarifying an authentic life. 
I've heard both you and Timothy Ferris talk about the importance of uh, who you hang with. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I, I think some people might hear that and go, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that I shouldn't be hanging out with, uh, you know, I have a burden for homeless people and I want to uh, help them get off the streets. Does that mean I don't hang out with the homeless or I have a burden for uh, uh, drug addicts and I want to help uh, help them get uh, better uh, to a better place in life? Uh, how would you respond to that? And what do you mean when you say, you know, you are the average of the five people you, you spend the most time with? What does it look like? You know, that, that it tickles me to hear you talk about that because that's such a common response. And, and, and people, we have a lot of people who are in our circle who have a heart for ministry and service and rightfully so. But I just had lunch with a young guy who's part of a well-known ministry organization, national organization, been there for seven years. I knew him before he went with that organization, I mean a spring in his step, a sparkle in his eye, just full of vim and vigor and out to conquer the world. He went there thinking he could change the world. I'm sure he's had a major impact. But in always giving, 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 giving to needy people, he's lost touch with what's happening out here, the rest of the world. He's lost his own center of influence. He hasn't spent time with high achievers or people who are performing at a level which he wants to perform, and he's really at a low spot. He's drained because he hasn't taken advantage of this principle. So when I say, you know, and, and Tim Ferriss talks about, and of course it's a Jim Rohn quote, really you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with, that doesn't mean that you're going to become arrogant or elitist or non-caring about those homeless people. But there ought to be some significant amounts of time in your life where you are being fed, nurtured, refreshed, restored, pulled up. If you're always just giving, it's like exhaling only. Ultimately, you'll turn blue and pass out. Our body requires that we inhale. So this is a process of inhaling. Now, interestingly enough, you know, people think, well, gee, this is just some hot shot, you know, new age, positive mental thinking, again, elitist kind of principle, spend time with people that you, you know, think are really cool people so you can be like them. Well, there's an old book around. One of the chapters in the book is called Proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 13, verse 20, it says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Wow, what a novel idea. Walk with the wise and become wise. That's all it is. And if we ignore that principle, we're going to suffer harm. Well, uh, Dan, as this podcast is all about uh, reading to better succeed and lead in life, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you for your f- maybe your favorite two or three books from the last couple of years, besides your own, that have had the most impact on you or that you've uh, thoroughly enjoyed, and why? Boy, I have, as you know, I am a voracious reader, love books, love, love, love books. This is not just something I feel like I have to do. There is nothing I would rather do than just crack open a brand new book. Got one today called Abundance. (laughs) It's been highly promoted. Can't wait to get into it. But there are some books out there. Here's one that's fairly recent. It's called Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. It's one of those that I'm going to keep in probably my top ten. Because it so critically looks at how we make decisions, how we so quickly choose between A and B. And what they're saying is, what about C through Z? 
What about all those other options? I so often hear from people, gee, I'm in a job I hate, but if I quit, I wouldn't be making any money. <laughs> really, are those the only two choices? <laughs> How about finding something where you make more money than you're making? That's something that you love. So anyway, that would be there. Good to Great, of course, Jim Collins. Yeah. Um, Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Now, Seth has written a lot of books, but Lynchpin is probably my favorite and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Compound Effect, Darren Hardy, publisher of Success Magazine. Boy, that is a great book. It's a little book, but it talks about the power of little decisions and how it's those compounded together that ultimately determine what kind of life we live. You know, when I meet with somebody, I mean, we met with a young mom just last week who um, is not homeless but close. She lives in government housing, a couple little kids. That didn't happen overnight. There is a whole litany of poor decisions that led to where she is today. Now, certainly, you know, she feels somewhat trapped. I mean, she's trying, but you can't just turn the corner on years and years of bad decisions. Right. So a book like The Compound Effect really lays that out. Well, you, you mentioned uh, Success Magazine. I know you, you're passionate about a few uh, magazines in particular. What would be some of your recommendations there? Success would be the top of the list, okay. without question. It's full of things that are positive and pure and clean and uplifting, mm-hmm. unlike most magazines you pick <laughs> up, which focus on you know the sensational negative and how screwed up people are in their lives. I don't want to read that. So Success is one that I read from cover to cover. Mm. Inc. Magazine. Now, being a business guy, I mean, I'm drawn to the ones that have that tell us about what's happening in the world of business. Fast Company is one of my very favorites. I read things like Wired Magazine. Now, Wired is really out there on the cutting edge in terms of technology, and I probably understand about 10% of what's in that magazine. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be exposed to it. So I'm at least conversant and maybe see something that we as a team here need to follow up on and really understand more. But then I read things like, you know, Reader's Digest. O Magazine might be surprising. <laughs> I find that to be one of the most, one of the best magazines that, that we have come into our home. I read that from cover to cover because it, too, is full of positive things where people are going in the right direction in their lives. It doesn't focus on all the negative things happening in the world. Well, you're a guy who I know likes to keep things uh, simple. You have a smartphone, but you don't have all the uh, email notifications and tweets and stuff interrupting you throughout the day and uh, just disrupting things. But what are what are some of your, or maybe one of your favorite productivity tools at the moment? It could be hardware like your phone or something about your phone or a specific piece of software, an app, or maybe a, a get things done technique or pen and paper or whatever. Sure. You know, one of the things that I'm really enjoying right now is Instagram. And this isn't really because it's a hot business tool. I don't even want people to find out, you know, about it because it's a very unique way for us to share within the family and friends. So constantly, you know, during the day, there are pictures going up. Here's somebody, you know, doing something fun, or here's one of the grandkids, or here's my little granddaughter in Africa on her first birthday, you know, which we just got. I mean, what an amazing tool to see within 30 seconds things that are happening to people of significance around the world. That's not one that I have highly focused for business success, but it's one that I enjoy mm-hmm. tremendously. 
Well, this last one, your choice, name a favorite thing or hobby you just love to participate in that you feel directly helps contribute uh, to your success. Well, life is very connected. I mean, I, we don't live our lives in segmented portions. One of the things that I do a lot is spend time outside on our property. Now, we have about 10 acres here, which I absolutely love. I have enough of the old farm kid in me that you aren't going to find me, you know, in the middle of concrete and asphalt, you know, going up the 13th floor to my cubicle. I just don't function that way. So I'm very connected to our property here. My office has a beautiful window in it right outside of a little waterfall, bird feeders, the, tur- the wild turkeys. If the food gets low in the feeder, they come up and knock on my window <laughs> to let me know it's low. So my breaks during the day are frequently to go out and weed in the hosta gardens that I have or to refill the bird feeders or to have my granddaughter stop, stop by and we spend 30 minutes on the zip line going down through our property. So that is a part of my day that is so entwined. You know, I, I don't know where to separate where one stops and the other starts. So being out on, on the land, doing landscaping things, trimming down my driveway, you know, planting, I just planted raspberry and blackberry bushes. We have a mulberry tree where I've been walking by every morning, getting berries for my smoothie in the morning. So that part is something that a lot of times would not be associated with business success, and yet I think it contributes dramatically to what I've experienced. Well, Dan, prior uh, to this interview, uh, we solicited at uh, readandleadpodcast.com some uh, listener uh, questions, and the first one comes via email, uh, jeff at readandleadpodcast.com. It comes from uh, Matt Austin, who's the general manager of a radio station, KCBI, in Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, Matt writes, I'm convinced that top-down management is dead and will finish off organizations that continue to implement that style of leadership. And he says, one of my goals is to create a culture of leadership and collaboration in our organization. What are some tips you'd give for elevating everyone's game and developing the next generation of leaders to succeed me? Wow, great question. We have seen a lot of change in corporate America. I mean, the top-down kind of management has had some dramatic failures where people at the top thought they were just using the people below them as pawns for their own personal success. Well, that's pretty transparent in today's work environment. You might have been able to get by with that 20 years ago, but probably not today. So there's a lot of transparency that has shifted how corporations run well. But we hear about corporate cultures like Google and Yahoo, where people may sit on the the big stress balls rather than a chair, where there may be no cubicle dividers, but just an open work environment. We hear a lot about if people choose to, they may be able to work from wherever they are. If somebody is doing knowledge work, if they're doing data input or graphic design, does it really matter if they're in the next room over two states away or on the other side of the world? And if people choose to work from home, we're finding more and more of the distributed workforce. And study after study shows that people are, in fact, more productive, not less productive in that kind of environment. So welcoming creativity, meaning that you allow people to fail and don't slap their hand for that. But you know that that is what stretches the organization and opens you up to new opportunities. If people are disciplined, punished, 
for failure, then it allows them to back up and do just the minimum required to get their paycheck. So we want to foster an environment, a culture of let's try new things. Let's experiment. Some things aren't going to work, but in that mix, we're going to find things that give us extraordinary success. I love watching organizations that are just having a lot of fun and doing creative things. Even organizations like JetBlue. You call JetBlue for a plane reservation, you are never talking to a person sitting in a cubicle somewhere. 100% of their reservation force work from home. That's some mom who answers the phone if it rings or knows that this is her two-hour shift or whatever. But just the, the creativity, the flexibility that we have in the workplace today, if we really are open to that, can create dramatic success for everybody. And if people are holding on to the old model, they're going to go the way of the wooden wheel. <laughs> well, I should mention, too, that Dan uh, was kind enough to uh, donate a couple of copies, autographed copies of Wisdom uh, Meets Passion. And Matt, who uh, submitted that first question, gets one of those. We also took a question, Dan, via voicemail. You can go to readaleadpodcast.com and click the voicemail button on the right of the page. And this question comes to us from Kyle. My name is Kyle Johnson, and I blog over at kylebjohnson.com as well as ministryservingministry.com. Uh, Dan, I had a question. I love the concept of your new book, uh, and I'm curious if you encouraging mentoring, um, if you're not really working for uh, somebody that's of, say, a boomer generation, how much do you encourage mentoring? Um, I love that idea. I've had the opportunity to work with somebody for about four and a half years and learn from them. And I really appreciate it. And I look forward to um, listening to this podcast. Thanks. Sure. You know, mentoring is a great concept. means different things. But I think we all ought to have somebody that we are mentoring and somebody that is mentoring us. I'm a coach. But I tell people, when you engage with somebody as a coach, ask them who's coaching them. If the answer is no one, it's a red flag. I'm always being coached. Being coached helps me coach others better. In the same way, being mentored. I mean, if we use a biblical kind of model for this, Jeff, I encourage people, and this is not original with me by any means, but I encourage people to have a Paul, a a Barnabas, and a Timothy in their life. Mm. A Paul, somebody older that speaks wisdom into you, confronts you, speaks the truth in love, but isn't, isn't uh, unwilling to confront. Barnabas, somebody who's on the same path as you, you link arms and say, hey, what do you want to do? How can we do this together? And then a Timothy, perhaps somebody younger that you have the opportunity to really speak into. I think we need all of those people in our lives. So you can frame any of those as mentor, mentee that you want to, but powerful concept. If somebody, I mean, I, I tell people, all that I tell my, my team members, if it ever becomes clear that I've stopped learning, dig a hole and push me in as quickly <laughs> as possible, because I'm of no use to anybody. So this is an ongoing process. You know, it, it kills me when I hear people say, you know, well, I haven't read a book since I graduated from college 20 years ago. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You're worthless. <laughs> this is a process of continuous learning, and I certainly want to be leading the pack on that. And you've brought us full circle to the importance that reading plays to success, uh, both personally and uh, in business. Thank you, Dan. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask here as we close, what are some of the projects or events you've got coming up that we can let listeners know about? 
Well, one of the things that we've got coming up that I'm so jazzed about is our Innovate Conference. We have been doing for three years an event called Write to the Bank, W-R-I-T-E. It's a play on words, but Write to the Bank, where we work with writers and show them how to turn that into significant income. What we discovered is that we were attracting people who were artists, musicians, comedians, speakers, coaches, others who have creative skills and were confronted with the same kind of issues. How do I turn this into a real viable business with significant income? So we changed that rather than just being for writers and call it Innovate, where we openly invite entrepreneurs, right-brainers, free thinkers, and a whole lot of other things. So we put, we put together one event, put it together very quickly, and, and I, I love the challenge of new things. I don't like the old tried and true, even if it's very predictably successful, I get bored. So I'm always breaking things and trying <laughs> to figure out how to do something new. So we put that together in March. It was outrageous, the response that we got and the fun that we had and the testimonials that we got. Now, n- no two events will be the same when we're talking about creativity. So the one we have scheduled now in September, September 5th and 6th, is going to be much different. Going to have Michael Hyatt speak here, Chad Jeffers, who's a lead guitarist with Carrie Underwood. Uh, We're going to have Scott Stearman here, who is an internationally known sculptor. We're going to start the day on Thursday with a three-foot square of clay. In the course of the two-day event, Scott is going to sculpt a totally original 48 Days Eagle. Now, you talk about putting your creativity to the test. That's what he's going to do. But I love that kind of... Now, is that something we're going to duplicate? No. We'll never do that again. Mm. But we're always bringing those new things to the table to try to give people a unique experience. And, And when people come here out to our property for events like that, I mean, we just had an event here for coaches. Well, as part of that event, we walked them around the property, down the trail, and stood there. We had attorneys from the Bronx in New York who were standing there gorging themselves with mulberries off our tree, (laughs) like a little kid. You know, they had never experienced mulberries in the wild like that before. But we want it to be a memorable experience to shake the cobwebs loose and get people thinking in new ways about what they can go into in the next chapter of their lives. That's just one. We've got lots of things. Uh, We've got some new things coming up with a 48days.net community that I'm really excited about. We're going to be adding some premium content to that in the next couple of months, but lots of exciting things going on here. I'm working on a 10th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. That little book is just just won't die. It just <laughs> keeps keeps kicking out there. So we're doing a, a complete revision, and we'll be re-releasing the new version in August of 2014. So lots of exciting things going on. Well, the website is 48days.com. As you mentioned, the community, 48days.net. Looking forward to the new release of uh, 48 Days of the Work You Love. we got to wait a whole year for that, but I guess we'll just have to. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being a part of this. My honor, Jeff. I'm delighted to be your guest and hope that we can give your listeners some hope and inspiration and wipe out some of those cobwebs. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Read to Lead podcast. To comment on this episode, I encourage you to go to my blog at readtoleadpodcast.com slash Dan Miller. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash Dan Miller. You can just scroll down to the comment section and leave your comment, question, or whatever it might be. 
And if you'd like your chance to win a copy of Wisdom Meets Passion, you can put your name in the hat, so to speak, by simply going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash love. There you'll find a tweet already written up for you to share with your tribe. Just share it before Friday at noon Central Time, and you'll be included in a drawing uh, for my own personal copy of Wisdom Meets Passion, complete with my scribbles and highlights. I'd also be grateful if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. This helps greatly with uh, keeping it visible so people who've never heard of it before can find out about it. It's easy to do. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. And if you give it a five-star rating, I'll mention you, give you a shout-out, if you will, in a future podcast. Again, to rate the podcast and leave your review, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. Well, on our next episode, we'll sit down and chat with Robert D. Smith. He's the author of 20,000 Days and Counting, the crash course for mastering your life right now. Robert will share how you can get more done in a single day than most people do in an entire year. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead.